Hello, welcome to the Family Five podcast with Ivy Law Group, where we will tackle the tough family law issues and the time it takes you to drink your coffee. I'm Jessica Hamilton. I'm the marketing manager for Ivy Law Group, and I'm joined by my boss, Shane Neagle, who is the director of Ivy Law Group and the family lawyer extraordinaire. In this podcast, we will take a five in five approach, five questions in five minutes. Our aim is to keep the podcast light, easy to understand, and to give you some valuable information to take away with you. All right, we're back with another episode of Family Five. Very exciting. How are you, Shane? I'm great, Jessica. How are you going? You look happy? Yeah, I'm I'm just dandy. All right, so we're talking about de facto relationships today. So, Shane, obviously couples will know when their relationship is over. But how does the court determine the end of a de facto relationship? The legal and emotional uh, crossovers are difficult for most people because emotionally uh, we know when we're done, but the court uh, looks for defined behaviours, which is normally something very express, an email or a text, public announcements, and there's certain other activities we normally do, which is severing of bank accounts and things like that. So the court requires, and get ready for the legal technicality, Jess, it requires the parties to do it without ambiguity or conditions attached. Are you okay with that? Oh, I don't know. I think that's too much legalese for me. So lawyers always cite the famous case of Fairbairn versus Radecki. Now, can you explain this to everyone out there in layperson's terms? What happened in this case and why it's so significant for de facto relationships? Jessica, are you also going to ask that I say words that are less than six letters? Yes. Thanks. Um, (laughs) That case involved a couple that got together in their 50s and after about 10 years, the female de facto partner began to experience cognitive issues and later on the guardianship tribunal um, appointed a trustee to act for her and there was a dispute in the relationship about whether the male de facto partner uh, was still engaged in a relationship with her and making decisions about her life or not and there was disputes that arose with their children the adult children and where he wanted to remain living at the property and that that was consistent with her wishes it went up to family court jurisdiction and it got appealed all the way to the high court and they said the relationship had broken down uh, as it went along and that happened at a time when the male de facto partner started to act in a way that wasn't consistent with looking after her in that in terms of uh, not being open to sell the farm property and not doing certain things uh, that you would normally see in a relationship to advance the other person. What happened as a consequence of that case and going to the high court it's kind of opened this whole can of worms in terms of capacity and how de facto relationships will be interpreted as they go. And one important factor in that case that could have helped them was that if they'd entered a binding financial agreement. Okay, so elaborating on that then, is there anything that differs a de facto relationship from a marriage in the eyes of the court? One of the key factors, Jessica, is to do with the relationship being at least two years long in a de facto relationship unless you have a child together. Um, obviously, uh, when people get married, it's formal immediately. The other thing is for Centrelink purposes, you're a de facto couple immediately as soon as you live together. Uh, where married couples use IVF, are you ready for this one? <laughs> Both spouses are automatically legal parents, but for de facto couples using those technologies, their child parentage depends on whether a de facto relationship is proven to exist. De facto partnerships require a great deal of proof and in terms of separation, and we, a key factor is that once they're separated, you only have two years to issue proceedings. And that's really important. So what about people who are separated, but they're still living together? 
Are there different rules? It's not necessarily that the rules are different. I suppose what there should be is uh, some clear distinctions being made by the couple, which is normally what the court would look for. And this is normally evidential, is that one person says, I stopped sharing the bedroom on this day. What you'd like to be seeing is clearer expressions being given, and that is to family and friends who can support it. But normally you do it with Centrelink and severing your bank accounts and or by direct communication, which is, I consider the relationship is over. Uh, no ifs or buts. And that's what the court would be looking for. So in, in terms of an issue, which I think uh, we've talked about it before, is that you've asked, well, what about if you've got joint mortgages and it looks like you're still in a shared economical relationship? Well, again, that's where it comes back to this, making it very express, a statement out loud that I think the relationship is over. Yeah, so if people are separated but they're still living together, what steps do they need to take to ensure that they are recognised by the courts as actually being separated? Because it's one thing to say, yeah, yeah, we're separated, but it's another thing for the court to actually recognise that in order to move forward with any family law proceedings. I think one of the first things you should be doing, contact a lawyer, you know, and (laughs) get some clear advice about how you should make the statement, what you, how you should do it. But normally it's just contacting government agencies to up to update your relationship and the nature of it. And that might be that we're living under the same roof. Therefore, unfortunately, for some people, the, the family tax benefits need to be split differently and uh, several joint bank accounts, insurance policies start to take the positive steps. But untangling is really important, and I appreciate this is really important. There are people out there that are in domestically violent relationships that need to tread very carefully with what they're doing. Thanks, Shane. So now it's time for a bit of a joke. Let's go. So a man sued an airline company after he lost his luggage. Sadly, he lost his case. Oh, that is a classic dad joke. (laughs) Bye. Thanks for tuning in and don't forget to save us to your favourites wherever you listen to your podcast so that you don't miss an episode. It's important to note that the contents of this podcast are intended as a general guide to the subject matter and if you are looking for specific advice about your individual circumstances, then we would recommend getting in touch with one of our friendly family lawyers.